0: Welcome to Twenty Five Stocks of Christmas presented by Chit Chat Money. Today we have an interview with Austin Lieberman, and we're talking BioLife Solutions, which is a company that's kind of close to us, literally <laughs> Literally, yeah, we, talk, we talk about that in the interview, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's pretty interesting, and it's a sort of a pickaxes type uh, play, except for the genomic space. So it's pretty interesting. But then we uh, we have our sales pitch, which we're going to keep short because. Austin gives his sales pitch.
1: Yeah, so he's he's a lead advisor at Seven Investing. Our partners, Um, he goes through the whole spiel of why someone would want to subscribe to them. But I'll just keep it short here. You can use code CCM to get ten dollars
0: off your first month.
2: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now please enjoy this episode.
0: Today we are welcomed by Austin Lieberman, a uh, lead advisor for our friends, 7investing. Austin, you've been on the show before a few times, but how are you doing?
2: good yeah we battled it out about slack a long time ago on the show right and i forget uh i don't remember if slack ended up getting acquired higher or lower than when i was when i was bullish on it uh when i was first on the show i'm just gonna say it was higher because uh, i'm too lazy to look and then everyone can think i was right so (laughs) yeah there we go
0: Yeah, that's a good strategy. Uh, And today we're talking BioLife solutions, which is probably a name most people haven't heard of. Um, So how did you come across them? We found out that they are like uh, 10 minutes, 20 minutes away from where we are now. Like that's their headquarters. So yeah, we if this is really interesting, we might have to do some boots on the ground research and check them out for
2: you. Hopefully it's a real office, right? That would be embarrassing if, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> if it was just a shadow company. Yeah. Hey, before we get started, what um, this, the 25 stocks of Christmas thing you guys are doing uh, without, you know, insulting any of your guests, what, uh, what's been your favorite and least favorite stock, Uh-oh. not guest? no hurt feelings here just yeah, stock yeah. that you've heard about so far okay uh, probably
0: the unique like there's some that the, the most uh the ones i like the most are the ones that like i'd never looked at so jim yeah. gillies brought on Nelnet, uh and so just because i'd never looked at it it was really interesting mm-hmm. um, um and then i
1: guess you know deval kotecha he i guess the day we're recording this he came out with uh trade desk and he's an expert on that company he's known them for a long time and that's just not something i'm comfortable investing in but either way like it was a fantastic episode and yeah. that's just not a stock for me but
0: it's yeah. uh it's on our end like nothing's been uh everything's been entertaining and super interesting it's just like if i lack conviction then it's hard yeah, for yeah. Me to you know want that company but yeah i guess uh nail that was probably the most fascinating oh there's a uh, another one that's coming out. So I don't know if it'll come out before or after this one. So I'm not going to say it, but it's a monopoly in France.
2: Yeah. So mm. there you
0: go. Small cap. Interesting.
2: Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. The trade desk is one that like I own the stock and for pretty much all of this year, minus the, the drop during, you know, COVID or March, I just felt like it was way too overvalued for the growth, but the market is clearly disagreeing. Right. And, and I don't know, I guess they're pricing in the expected growth from China or a future market opportunity or whatever, but that's one that I owned and let go and have been regretting it ever, ever since. But yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what I wanted to bring up with Biolife Solutions, right. As a company that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about. Um, And to be clear, like I'm not an expert in the company. Right. And so, uh, I think before I got us way off track, you asked me, um, kind of just how I found it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of different ways we find companies, especially on Twitter uh, and especially lately. Right. It feels like there's just a million companies talked about and there's SPACs on top of SPACs on top of SPACs. Um, there's a lot of different like publications that I, that I kind of look for each year. Right. And so, Uh, one of the ones that was super interesting to me that always is, is Okta's, um, like business at work that comes out every year. And that talks about a lot of these like enterprise applications. And if you were paying attention to that report, you could have seen the growth of zoom and, and, uh, even Slack and a lot of, of these different enterprise applications, even, um, Atlassian and their different apps, right? You could have seen the growth of those things pick up before a lot of their stock prices did. So sometimes these types of reports are a great way to find stocks. And so the way that I initially found BioLife Solutions was Deloitte, which is kind of like a uh, it's a consulting firm, right? They release a report every year that's called the it was the 2020 Technology Fast 500 Awards, and these were basically um, they've done it for the past 26 years and they've been, the, the teaser is that they say they've been uh, honoring the most innovative public and private technology companies that hail from cities across North America. So that's kind of the premise of the list, right? And they uh, they basically, um, either companies are nominated or they find them with public data and it's, it's all based off like the growth rate of these companies. So that list came out in December of 2019 and uh, actually, tweeted about this. Um, and, and so I think we're both fans of Y charts, right? And so I went through Y charts and tried to add every single company in that, uh, in that entire list to a, a, watch list. Right. And I don't know, maybe a third of them were public. Right. So, uh, that, that, and then I basically filtered that list down, um, using, I don't want to call it a screener, but just like looking at metrics that matter to me. And these metrics were, were uh, between basically a $1 billion. I think I actually went a little bit lower than 1 billion for this. Uh, but it was like between a 500 million and 50 billion market cap, uh, looking for revenue growth that was over you know 30% a year, um, looking for pretty solid operating margin, sales and marketing uh, as an expense of revenue, going down over the years, uh, you know, pretty low debt to equity ratio and then uh, increasing free cash flow. So, those are a few of the things that I looked at. I narrowed that list down from 150 companies down to 25 and then I narrowed that down even more to the top 10. So, you know, you could do that first part. Um, I added them all to the watch list. I probably took 30 minutes or whatever uh, and then using those metrics could quickly narrow down from 150 to 25 and maybe another 30 minutes and then with those 25 companies, that's where I would spend maybe five minutes looking at each company uh, and then got it down into a top 10 and then spent uh, you know maybe 30 minutes or so looking at those top 10 companies. So just wanna provide that overview, um, lots of different ways we can get information and then whatever your process is, there are ways to filter out, uh, to look at a lot of companies, filter a lot of them out very quickly and then, and then prioritize your time and spend it on just the 10 or so that, that you wanna study. And so that's that's how I found BioLife Solutions. It was one of the ones on that list. Um, it met all the metrics. And then uh, in December of 2019, or it was January, early January 2020, I actually bought uh, BioLife Solutions um, Digital Turbine, which is like crushing oh. it this year. Ticker oh. apps, uh, Talaria, which is now Magnite, and then um, uh, Luck and Coffee, which obviously became a huge <laughs> fraud. Uh, but th- my approach with those, right, was they were very low confidence positions, um, didn't know much about them. And I just opened up like 1% positions in all of them and and knowing that I was going to be wrong on maybe two or three, but if if I could get one massive winner and, and these were my shot at like 50 to 100 baggers um, because they were all, you know, pretty much uh, sub $2 billion market caps. So a right. hundred bagger from there is still... Um, less than a hundred billion dollar company, uh, and BioLife Solutions at the time was like a five hundred million dollar company. So, hundred bagger, I think is bad at math, but I think that's like a fifty billion dollar company. Um, so, when you've got one point five trillion dollar companies, it, it it's not out of it's not crazy to think that a company like BioLife Solutions could be fifty billion someday. Um, so, that was my approach: just small one percent position, and and then my strategy with it is is really uh, just to hold it and it's going to be volatile. And if the position, you know, becomes a 5% position in my portfolio growing on its own, I might really start to pay attention to it and say like, all right, uh, is it, is it still, is it way overpriced? Does everything still make sense? Do I still want to hold it? But until then, honestly, like I don't even pay cl- super close attention to it um, outside of the work I've already done. I think I just talked way too much and covered probably like 10 of the questions <laughs> that, that you want to ask me, um, but happy to also go into what the company does and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, always, I was going to say that the most important part there was probably the way you're trying to turn over as many rocks as possible in companies that fit your style. Would that be the yep. way that you're trying to explain that there?
2: Yep. Exactly. And, and, and so there were a ton of uh, like pharma companies and biotech companies and people that are creating drugs and stuff like that on that fast 500 list. And, you know, that's just not an area that I'm an expert in. We have at 7invested, we have people on our team that are experts in that, Manisha, Sammy, and Max Chasko, but that's definitely not me. Right. And, and, and so a way that I filtered some of those questions. So I just cut out all the, the companies that I like. I knew way out of my league and had no idea. And what I liked about BioLife Solutions is is they're they're in the uh, like biopreservation and, and gene therapy industry, but they're not a drug producer. So uh, I, I view it more as like a pick and shovel approach to having a stake in an industry that, you know, a lot of the smartest people and investors in the world, um, like the folks over at ARC, like they think that industry is going to be massive, right? Uh, I know my limitations and I knew that I wasn't likely to find the drug producer that was going to be the winner, but I I bet on BioLife solutions because I think if that industry does well, which everything is pointing to it, doing well, and all these smart people are saying it's going to do well, then the company, and, and I still haven't said what they do, the company that provides, uh, the like the bio preservation for um, preserving uh, all these different uh, either for companies that are creating these um, vaccines and different therapies, uh, helping them create them and preserve them or preserving the actual like tests that people are doing on themselves and then shipping them to facilities or storing the uh, different samples and tests at clinics. Um, that's what BioLife Solutions does is they, they provide the, uh, the cooling, um, the word is, but containers basically, and then the shipping ability and the right solution to be able to like thaw that stuff the right way after it's frozen, um, so that they can, they can, uh, test it and do all the things that they have to do with it. They provide basically that entire logistics chain to, uh, Customers, clinics, and then companies that are developing all of these different therapies.
1: Okay, so is it uh, getting them from, say, the pharmaceutical companies they make this stuff or the gene editing companies, they make this technology, all this called I don't know whether how it's getting deployed to you know treat people, but they get it from there safely to hospitals and treatment for doctors to use without messing up uh, you know the chemistry of the biology that the, these uh, treatments are made up from.
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And they've also got, and we can share this out, maybe the, like an investor presentation, okay. but they cover, they cover kind of the whole journey, right? So they've got a series of products that, that, um, would be used at the, like the donor or patient level, um, to collect if they take a blood sample or whatever from patients, um, and preserve it. And then also freeze it. They also have, um, products that keep it frozen and, and, can actually track that things uh, stayed frozen and stayed at the temperatures they're supposed to during shipping. Uh, and then they, like you just said, they have um, products for the developers, the gene, um, the cell and gene therapy developers to actually use while they're creating these drugs and, and um, as they send them out to uh, through manufacturing, um, the final formulation and storage on site. Uh, and then again for shipping for them. And then they also have uh, a set of products for dose preparation for hospitals and different clinics and stuff. So they cover kind of each phase of, of really everything for, for selling gene therapy from patients to developers to clinics and hospitals. They've, and they've, they've done that through their own products, but also through some acquisitions that they've made over time. Interesting.
0: And to piggyback off what you said earlier, um, this isn't necessarily like we've had Max on now uh and he dug into fate therapeutics. Um, and it'd be really hard for the average investor to get any sort of edge there. This is more of a bet on the industry and you know, we recognize there's going to be winners and losers that come out of the gene uh, therapy and this whole industry. Uh yep. but biolife is just they are winning as long as capital is flowing into the industry, right?
2: That's, I mean, that's what I think. And again, I'm not an expert in the industry. They do have some competitors. Uh, a company called CryoPort is also a competitor. Okay. My take on, on that is like, I don't know if BioLife Solutions is going to beat CryoPort or if it, like, who's going to win. I think uh, they're both like, at this point, sub, still sub $2 billion market cap companies. Um, ARK put out a, a report, right? Uh, and we, I can share this link with you, but it's, it was the genomics innovation, uh, a catalyst for growth. Right. And in their report, they just highlighted, uh, basically the genomic age, right? So a couple of the points, um, over the last five years we have, and this is, I'm just reading from their report. Um, we've passed a key inflection point point in the ability to access, manipulate, and understand the molecular building blocks of the human body. Um, the cost to sequence genomes has gone down. Editing DNA has become, uh, more accessible and cheaper. Um, and, and so, basically, what they think, and I was just looking for it, uh, this was sort of their, their high-level summary. Uh, ARK Invest estimates that by 2024, therapeutic pipelines and tool providers should generate hundreds of billions of dollars in new revenue and trillions in new market capitalizations as they transition to the genomic age. So, that is kind of like the high level on what ARC thinks and a lot of other people think is the potential for, you know, that industry. And so, uh, as you drill down, everybody that's developing those, those therapies and drugs and everybody that's, that's taking blood and samples and all that stuff, they, they've got to have a way to ship them and store them. And we've even seen it with uh, COVID vaccines, right? Like they've, there's been a lot of information coming out that they've got to be kept at a really cold temperature. Uh, that type of thing is exactly what um, BioLife Solutions and then CryoPort, and they've got some other competitors as well. Uh, but I think the market is large enough now and is definitely going to be large enough for multiple companies to win. Okay. So, yeah.
0: So, uh, you kind of already made one of these references, but it's a bit like the Levi genes of the gold rush or the pickaxes, I guess, of the gold rush, uh, just in the gene editing or genomic space.
2: Yeah. And in, they, uh, in one of their recent investor presentations, they BioLife kind of laid out the investment thesis. And I actually agree with a lot of these points, right? So what they say is that, uh, they're a pure play picks and shovels bioproduction solutions provider serving the cell and gene therapy industry. We kind of talked about that. They say that they're enabling uh, scalable manufacturing of cell and gene therapies, potential cures for cancer, which is another you know, huge area. Uh, that's a very real industry. Um, and then other leading causes of death, uh, death, a key macro growth catalyst is pay for response. So this is a big thing too. Um, What that means is that's the reimbursement paradigm driving the use of optimized tools. So what they mean by that is, um, say a a company or a a customer uh, takes a sample or a test or uh, orders a drug or something like that. If if either they don't get uh, a good outcome, whether the drug doesn't work or there's adverse reactions or... Uh, they don't get good data on the sample that they send in or just whatever it is. And again, I'm not an expert in this industry, so I might be using all the wrong terms. Um, you can you can yell at uh, Ryan and Brett on Twitter if, if I'm wrong about this <laughs> stuff, right? Don't yell yeah, at me.
1: Make sure to do uh, that.
2: But anyways, if so if that stuff doesn't work, basically if the customer isn't getting what they paid for because of uh, an issue with how it was maintained while it was shipping or if it wasn't stored or it wasn't kept cold enough, then uh, those companies or even those uh, the hospitals might not get reimbursed by insurance companies. And so that drives them to use optimized tools like what bio, uh, bio life solutions does to make sure that they're not liable for uh, or help make sure that they're not liable um, for, for some of those issues if they happen or so that those issues don't happen so that they actually get paid for the therapies that they're doing. So uh, it costs money for, for, companies to buy these storage containers or, or have the uh, the optimized shipping that BioLash Solutions does, but it can save them a lot of money if they're not uh, losing profits from, you know, these different claims and stuff like that.
0: Have you looked into management at all? Um, sort of who's running the company? Any of that stuff?
2: Yeah, um, they've got a pretty experienced. I mean, I just updated this. Um, here we go. Uh, they've got a... Um, an experienced manag- management team. Their CEO, Mike Rice, has uh, been the CEO for 14 years. Um, so he's got a lot of experience with the company. He was he was at the company even before it was public. Um, and then they've got uh, Karen Foster is the chief quality officer. Um, she's been in the quality and manufacturing operations industry for 25 years. Uh, and then she spent 13 years as a VP of manufacturing um, at... at at like another bio company and they've got other executives that also have years of experience, but the biggest one is, is the CEO really. Um, I like that Mike Rice has been there for 14 years. They've, they've really evolved, um, and, and sort of grown their capabilities through acquisitions and that's a kind of a pro and a con to the company. I think like, uh, if you read the book, um, uh,
1: the, is it The Outsiders
2: or? Uh, yeah, The Outsiders about about the like the best capital allocators, right? Um, yeah. I'm of the opinion like people that are, the companies that acquire other companies, that can be kind of a risky thing because it's hard to do a good acquisition. But there's been a few companies throughout history that have been really good at it, right? And so the ones that have, have, have rewarded shareholders uh, really well. And so far, the acquisitions that BioLife has done have been successful. Um, the company is let's see, over the last, uh, basically since 2017, I think the stock's up like 1,500% or something like that. Uh, and it's still sitting at about a $2 billion market cap. Um, so the, the company has a kind of a history of, of success and, and the same management team is there that's been there for a long time.
1: And have they made any indications? I know sometimes companies won't say this, but have they made any indications that they want to use their stock price to kind of go after um, competitors, maybe, or adjacent companies, to try to use that as a currency.
2: Yeah, they've actually um, they laid out kind of their M and A strategy. Uh, I think they talked about it on their last call, but they also in this investor deck. Um, basically, their goal is to, uh, and they they call it out, is to acquire synergistic products and technologies to accelerate growth. Um, they want to leverage scientific and customer service reputation within the cell and gene therapy space. Um, they want to Cross market, uh, an expanded product portfolio of a large base of already sticky customers, and then capitalize on a fragmented base of bioproduction tools and uh, suppliers by consolidating several to become a broad-based trusted partner. And they've even recently um, raised money. And I don't know if they did that through dilution of share. I don't know exactly how, but but they have recently raised money. And and they're uh, they have specifically said they're looking uh, to you know at more potential mergers and acquisitions
1: okay um, and you, you've uh, mentioned you know parts of the bowl case here uh you know you talked about the picks and shovels uh the fact that the tailwind you know with the arc research and others that can see that this industry is growing rather quickly are there any other parts of the biolife bowl thesis why you think this is a strong investment
2: yeah so i mean talked about the sort of like the Fundamentals I looked at of, of the company, right I mean I talked about the the categories I look for, but not the the specific fundamentals of biolife solutions but um, you talked about the share price over the last three years um, trailing twelve month revenue over uh, this since two thousand and seventeen is up from about uh, twelve million to forty one million so that's almost what three x in in revenue. Um, a lot of that though, is from acquisitions, right? So that's something that we have to keep an eye on. Um, their free cash flow has improved from around. I'm just looking at them like eyeballing it here. Uh, I think it was around a couple hundred thousand to two point six million in their most recent quarter, uh, and that's um, I believe that's trailing 12 month. Uh, their operating income is improving. Uh, Net income is improving and then uh, their sales and marketing as a percent of annual revenues, which I look at that, look at it a lot with SaaS companies, but any company that's important, right? So we want to see sales and marketing go down as a company um, gets... More well known and they have more products because it should be easier to sell, right? Their reputation is getting better. Um, That's actually gone down from about about forty percent in two thousand seventeen to about seventeen percent. So seventeen percent of their annual revenue now is spent on sales and marketing. It's pretty reasonable. Um, So I like the past performance of the stock. We see a lot of times companies that have done well continue to do well, and then the fundamentals are there as well. They're growing um, the their product portfolio, and then uh, in their to sort of back up the, the wider industry research that ARC and other people have done, they shared some slides as well. Uh, there's 1,078 regenerative medicine and advanced therapy clinical trials underway uh, worldwide at the end of the first half of 2020. Um, so that's their market, right? So the fact that more and more of those trials are happening means there's gonna be more demand for these types of products. So that, I mean, that's a big number. Uh, And then in, um, so global financing for regenerative medicine, this is according to their slide, there was $10.7 billion raised in the first half of 2020, which is up 120% year over year from the first half of 2019. 7.9 billion of that was for gene and gene-modified cell therapy. Um, Or actually this is, I think these are separate numbers. And then uh, $7.5 billion was for cell therapy. And then I don't know if those two are broken out, but either way, um, the, the trends from the broader industry, to me, it appears that there's more trials that are going to continue to happen. There's, there's more therapies that are going to continue to happen. And then the demand for this over the next decade, I think is going to continue going up.
0: There's, okay. and there's a lot of funding. There's a lot of capital that's just flowing into it, too, which is, I mean, regardless of the success of some of those clinical trials, that bodes well for BioLife
2: Solutions. Right. Yep. And then uh, another, another thing. So, I looked at their customers, too, right? Like, I'm by no means an expert in the industry, but I've heard of a few of these customers, and it's, it's good to see that they're customers of BioLife Solutions. So, I'm um, just a few of the bigger ones, Celgene, uh CRISPR, Editas. Um, Intelia Therapeutics, um, Iovance, Kite Pharma, Novartis, um, and then, uh, a couple of their, their larger clinical, uh, clinical centers, the Myo Clinic, um, the, uh, Stanford. So again, by, by no means am I, uh, an expert. I don't know, um, every- every customer or every producer in this industry. But uh, those are those are companies that we see in the news all the time that are doing, you know, a lot of different stuff across across a lot of different categories. Um, and it's good to see that their, their customer count is growing. Yeah.
0: Do you know if they have any patents? I imagine they do. Are, are their products patented? Because I'm just picturing, like, it sounds like a bit of a hidden gem here. Um, but if, like, a competitor could come along and do the exact same thing, then maybe it isn't.
2: Yeah, so they have they have uh, what's called biopreservation media, which is the solution that you you mix stuff with to preserve it. Um, that is developed with um, in house IP. Um, they've acquired uh, a company that does automated thawing. They've acquired a company that does cloud connected shipping containers. Huh. Uh, they've acquired a company that creates uh, or manufactures high capacity storage freezers. So. Um, that's the ability to where a customer would buy uh, a storage freezer to store you know a however many hundreds of thousands or millions of doses or whatever um, and then they just recently acquired Scisafe, which does bio storage so uh, I don't know that you know I don't know all of the intellectual property um, or patents that you know all of those acquisitions have uh, I'm sure a lot of it is patented. And then there's some of it that probably isn't right. Like there, it is possible that other people create the same things that, that BioLife solution has and uh, could potentially steal customers or take market share or whatever. I think some of these purchases are big purchases, right? And it's like important material. So if they are a customer and they're using, you know, multiple products from BioLife solutions, then, uh, it's likely a pretty sticky relationship because it'd be a big overhaul and a lot of risk to switch all that out.
0: Okay. I think that's all the questions we have for the first half, right? Yep. Okay. We're going to hit a quick break and then we're going to try to poke some holes in Austin's thesis.
2: Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now, all your computer can play is red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security included with Cox Panoramic Wi Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi Fi app. Restrictions apply.
0: Welcome back in. Next up, we have Devil's Advocate. So these are our counterpoints, and it's Austin's job to refute them. Uh, now, I am going to say, I'm going to mention the valuation, which should be a good sign for listeners. If I can't find anything wrong with the business, I typically resort to valuation. So I'm using that. Uh, it trades at 29 times, trailing 12-month sales, has 18% net margins. which are That's solid, but, you know, it's not 40 like someone like uh, Zoom or something. Right. And uh, I guess the worry here is that there's not enough margin of safety.
2: Yeah, Um the The price to sales ratio has definitely expanded this year. Um, when I first bought it in, what was it? December of 2019, it was at a, I don't know, a 10 or something like that price to sales uh-huh. ratio. Um, I, so let me, to be clear, this is, this is a started at a 1% position for me, right? And so when I have a company like that, um, that's, really sub like 20 billion market cap. Um, I am very willing to invest like almost, almost doesn't matter what the price of sales ratio is, uh, if it's a 1% investment for me. And if I think that the potential growth is, you know, possibly 50 X, uh, because even if I'm wrong about that, even if it's just 10 X then, uh, which is what buying a company at a too high of a price of sales ratio, then, uh, you could be sort of cutting your total potential gain down significantly. But there's enough upside there because of the size of the company and the potential growth of the industry that uh, I'm not really at all concerned. And because it's a, a 1% starting position for me and it's it's now doubled, so it's like 2%. Um, because of those things, I, I I really don't care about price to sales ratio and it's not absurd either. If you, we're not talking about like 100 or 150 um, to where even if if there was no multiple expansion, so if it just stayed steady, the company could very easily grow into its valuation and then the stock could move higher even if the multiple stays the same because there's so much room for growth in the industry and it's only a $2 billion company at this point. I don't even know if that's if that's right at this point. I, I think that, I think that's
1: around the right, but it does move a lot. But the, so you're kind of, with a high risk, high reward thing like this, you're kind of thinking, all right, I'm just going to coffee can it. Um, With a small part of my portfolio, it's not one of your core holdings. It's just kind of a coffee can. Um, Whatever happens, happens. Uh, You're going to look at it in a decade.
2: Yeah. And, and to be clear, like I do care about valuation, right? I don't own the trade desk because I think the price to sales ratio is ridiculous for the amount of growth. Um, But the trade desk is a I don't know, whatever, $40 billion company now. And this is a $1.3 billion company. Um, So as a market cap is lower, you have a lot more space to be wrong about the price to sales ratio, and it'd still be a great investment.
1: Okay. And then my counterpoint, so the chairman just left the board of directors or or one of the big members of the board, he sold his 5% stakeout to outside investors. I know it's something called uh, the card deal group, something like that. They have 20% ownership. So that kind of shows to me that either that he thinks the stock is overvalued or that he has lost confidence in the business. Um, have you heard anything about that? Because when someone looks at this, that's probably a concern they're going to have.
2: Yeah. I, I haven't paid super heavy attention to that. Again, like I don't, I don't watch the company every single day. Um, I'm not a real concerned with, you know, one person selling 5% of the shares. Um, if we start to see that as a trend and the there's a CEO transition or the CEO sells an ab abnormal amount of shares or something like that, then it would, it would start to be like a a red flag. But like I said, the stocks up, I don't know, 1300% or 1400% or something like that in the last three years. Like I don't really, I don't really blame people for cashing out if they're moving on. Um, Yeah. Especially
1: if they've been there for over a decade.
2: Yeah. but if that trend continues, and yeah, definitely something to a, a yellow flag at the very least.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, uh, this is just sort of a tangent, but I'm surprised more there aren't more people that are just old people on the boards of directors that are like, yeah, I'm just cashing out all my shares.
1: Yeah, and then just explaining like, hey, look, I uh,
0: <laughs> it has nothing I'm to. Heading, do with I'm company. heading into
1: retirement, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so. I think that's all the counterpoints, yeah. right? Uh, I guess you said you're not doing as much maintenance or diligence on this as you know obviously some of your larger holdings but what would have to happen for you to get rid of this position
2: I think if we saw fraud would be one for sure right Right. if there was if there was fraud Um, if we started to see them making I talked about they do a lot of acquisitions right if and so far when you watch them uh, it seems like the acquisitions are going well. Their revenue growth was like 70% ish. Um, yeah. It was, let's see, revenue recap Q3, 2020 yeah, was, was 70%. up 71%. Um, if we start to see them making these acquisitions and then it's just not working out or, or expenses going way up and continuing to go way up, uh, that would be a, a red flag as well. And, uh, and, and really again, because of the nature of this investment, right. And in in that it's in that risky 1% bucket that I think could be a 50 or 100 X, like I would be okay with it going to zero. Um, right. Obviously that's not ideal, but like th- th- these types of companies are really easy companies to say, Oh, they had a bad quarter. The stock's down 30%. I'm going to sell it. And then you look five years later and and it's a, billion company or whatever. And you're like, "Ah, I should have never sold, you know? So, uh, I'm not trying to like skate out of the answer, but um, I'm just, I guess, trying to provide a perspective to people. It's like, hey, for different types of positions in your portfolio, uh, for me, they, uh, a 1% position requires, I look at that a lot less than a 10% position okay.
0: in my portfolio. Yeah. And, and not everyone invests like that, but there's, I mean, your example from earlier is a perfect uh, example of why it works. Um, you had three companies, I guess, four companies four. that you bet yes. on. One was a goose egg. Uh, sorry to say, but obviously, obviously <laughs> everyone knows what happened with luck and coffee. Um, and even if one of them fails, you can still two or three extra money in those investments by just one being hugely successful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Digital turbine is up 490% this year, right? And so that makes all the rest of them could have gone to zero and you're, you're still winning at that point. Um, right. You you guys said gross margins was, was what? 12% or something like that? Uh, I'm um,
1: that might've been, I think net margin. I think we said net margin. Net
0: margin is 18, 18. Got it.
2: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought you said gross margins, are, margins pretty, are 57%. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. Uh, any more questions? Yeah, no, I
1: guess we just have one more and this is a tough one because again, it is the, the coffee can style, but, uh, it's, you know, is there a change you'd like to see biolife sciences make, um, uh, maybe on the capital allocation front because they do have that volatile stock price that they could take advantage of?
2: Yeah, really. I think it's, it's, I want to see them slow down on acquisitions for a little while. Okay. They, uh, they've, they've made four acquisitions in the last 18 months. Um, and so that's a lot, right? Like it's hard for any company to, to make that much change. Um, I want to, I hope that this has been a period of just heavy investment for them. And I'd like to see over the next year or two, maybe they make another acquisition or whatever, if it seems really opportune, but, or opportunistic. Um, but I'd like to just watch them, uh, get to work and, and sort of like, Work all the the sales processes out and get everybody incorporated into the business, uh, and just see the acquisitions acquisitions that they've made uh, come together, um, and and just make a like a more synergistic single company, uh, versus continuing to acquire more and more companies. Again, I'm they're much better at that stuff than me, but um, just as an investor, I, I know how how complicated acquisitions and mergers can yeah. be. Um, yeah. So I'd like to see usually, slow down. They usually don't turn out as. a, uh...
1: Like the things yeah. they talk about typically doesn't turn out like people say, because you're merging two giant
0: businesses,
2: right?
0: Yeah. yep. And it's uh, also, that would give you a chance as an investor to see what or gra- organic or normalized growth looks like. Uh, because I guess if you're an investor now, you probably want to be focusing not only on revenue growth, but revenue growth per share, because a lot of it might be diluted if they're making these acquisitions with uh, the stock.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so real quick, I didn't, I didn't hit on the Q1 to Q3 2020 highlights, uh, 75% revenue, year-over-year revenue growth, over 450 customer applications. So um, we want to see that number stay up because as their customers have new applications for um, new uh, treatments and vaccines or whatever type of customer they are, that drives more demand for their products and storage and stuff like that. You, you asked about patents. Um, they've got 50 total patents and they have three new patents uh, this year. And then uh, 144 new direct customers year to date so far. So through the third quarter of 2020. Um, so that's sort of an update on like how the business is performing right now, even during COVID. And management has also talked about uh, for a lot of their, like the, the big storage that requires sales teams to be able to go and meet and, and go on site. A lot of that stuff has been turned off and not allowed during during COVID. So, um, I think that part of the business is still growing at I don't know, around twenty percent. Uh, there's a chance that that's actually going to pick up going into next year as restrictions ease and and more people um, are allowed to go on site and they can do these sales calls. Uh, so we could see part of their business um, strengthen going into 2020, which is or 2021, which is what I like about the the company. And then obviously the big opportunity for the next decade or two decades, just in the entire industry.
0: Okay. I think that sums it up. Yeah. It's BioLife solutions. We'll uh, try to drive by headquarters and give you the yeah, update we'll give you case the it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> I think it will, but hopefully, uh, yeah, well, we'll maybe stop by and see what, see what's going on there. Uh, oh, before we leave, we want to give you a chance to do our sales pitch for us. So right, the old seven investing, right? Yeah. yeah. If I'm a seven investing subscriber, what am I getting?
2: Yeah, uh, so a lot more thorough research than I've done on BioLife Solutions, right? I wanted to bring BioLife Solutions to to this uh, discussion just to hopefully present an idea that maybe not a lot of people have heard about, and also a a way to potentially manage your portfolio and and take a shot on a couple of like risky positions with a small part. Um, not, right. uh, not that's advice, David. But it's just something that I've done uh, at Seven Investing. What we do, in case it's the first time you've ever heard of Chit Chat Money, you've never listened to to Ryan and Brett before. Uh, we just we have a team of seven um, advisors that do sort of deep research into our own areas of interest and expertise. And then each month we provide a, uh, each of us provides our best idea, our best long-term idea in the stock market. Uh, and it's $17 a month. You get a full report. You get to see all of our previous picks, all of our future picks. We've got or recommendations, not picks. Um, we've got uh, subscriber only calls. We have s- some subscriber only information. We, we share the, um, presentations that we give internally to the team. When I come up, when I came up with my December recommendation, I presented it to the team first and then we sort of get feedback on it and then roll it out to subscribers. Um, all of that stuff is open to subscribers and it's normally 17 a month, but I think (laughs) you two have a code CCM that people can put in, and they get $10 exactly. off their first month. So it's seven bucks. And we appreciate, um, working with, with you, Ryan and Brett. And, uh, it, it's, I mean, I was, I liked you guys long before you were partners with us. Uh, and I've, I've just been a huge fan of your podcast and, and what you two are doing. It, um, uh, it, it just excites me, your, your passion and, and watching you to um, learn and learning with you, right? Like I'm, we're all learning. It's fun to learn yeah. with you.
0: Yeah. And where can, uh, any, any listeners find you? What's your Twitter handle?
2: I am at the number seven, Austin L. Um, Yeah, and just just search cash sign F-S-L-Y on Twitter and you'll probably see (laughs) tweets from me talking about Fastly.
0: Okay, all All right. We want to remind our listeners that we are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.